Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 570th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Rebel News Network. But as always, this show will cover the American game. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. You have a question for me. I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Well, the report has come out from Alston and Bird through the U.S. Soccer Federation on the reports between the Reinas and the Burhalters. As far as we have seen in this report, and for those that have been commenting on it through social media, Tom Bogert and so many others through ESPN, Fox, Claudio and Dan Reyna, who did not testify in this report, did not take the interview from uh, Alston and Bird has looked absolutely foolish and sadly pathetic. If if I want to go as far to say narcissist, I'm, I think I have every right to go that far. What he did as well as his wife, Danielle, to go after Greg Berhalter because of how he treated their son, Gio, during the World Cup. And not just the World Cup. Not just what he has said and what they, him and his wife have said about Greg Berhalter. Just absolutely destructive tirades all over the place and very appalling from a man who was a part of that 2002 World Cup side that went to the quarterfinals defeating Portugal, drawing South Korea, one of the two host nations then, defeating Mexico 2-0, and sadly losing in the quarterfinals to Germany 1-0. Claudio Reyna does not come out smelling like roses at all in this. Especially when you have these moments after reading this whole situation. Claudia Reyna contacting U.S. soccer is back on a regular basis as far back as 2016 to convey complaints about how U.S. soccer treated Gio, their son, to influence decisions about how to use his son for the national team, but probably in youth and senior level games. How he has basically cursed out women's officials playing, and I shouldn't say playing, but officiating matches in the men's game. How he basically just, uh, 
how he basically called it a disgrace. I mean, it's just really, really disheartening to hear about these issues that Claudio Reyna, even though no longer a sporting director at Austin FC, but still a technical advisor at Austin FC, honestly, you know, I think Austin has to sack him. Austin FC must remove Claudio Reyna as a member of the front office, as a member of the club, in an advisory role, no matter what. And every single MLS club, USL Championship, League One, League Two, NISA, NPSL, PSL, whatever have you, should never hire this man ever again. I'm sorry to say that. But what he has done, what Claudio Reyna has done, is just absolutely disgusting, pathetic. We can never trust this man in a front office position ever again. He should not be involved with U.S. soccer in any form, in any capacity whatsoever, youth or senior men's or women's teams. This hurts, ladies and gentlemen. This really, really hurts. I've never seen an act like this. Regardless if it's in the Premier League, if it's in La Liga, Serie A, the Bundesliga, also, we have to say it, you don't want me to to add them, but I'm going to have to do it. We've never seen anything like this in the NBA, in the NHL, in the NFL, or in Major League Baseball. We have never seen this level of monstrous pandering, you might want to say. I think I'm using the wrong word here. But dictating terms, because he's Claudio Reyna, and what I say goes. This is a man who was friends with Greg Berhalter. This is a man who went to the same school with Greg Berhalter, friends, lifelong, on the same national team, the same everything, and until Greg Berhalter was hired as head coach of the men's national team, it looks like everything went to hell. It's just disgusting. Yeah, I am I am disgusted by this entire situation. And you know, even though Greg Berhalter has been absolved of this because everything he talked about that night, you know, what happened between him and his wife, of course then they were dating back in those days that he was truthful about it, that he can't believe he did it. He sought counseling. He asked for forgiveness. It took a while for them to reconnect, but they did. And for Danielle Reyna to say what she had to say to Ernie Stewart to get this whole situation rolling, 
is 10 times worse. I'm, I'm still flabbergasted. You know, we have seen videos on YouTube, on the news, how parents that attend sports-affiliated, uh, organized youth sports leagues like Little League Baseball, Mites, hockey, the basketball, baseball, and, uh, you know, NFL football, how they start fights with each other, how they intentionally go on the field or on the court and they go after referees and umpires. I never thought you would see that on the professional sports stage. And the Reinas have done that. They have now jumped the shark. And it's a lot worse than what we've seen. Grown adults acting like immature high schoolish jerks. Immature high schoolish jerks. It, it's just an absolute travesty in our game of former professional players, parents of a young son playing for Borussia Dortmund in the German Bundesliga, trying to dictate what should or should not happen involving their son as a part of the U.S. men's national team. It is, a, it is an absolute disgrace. Just an absolute disgrace on how they've handled this. And while I am happy that this situation for Greg Berhalter has been resolved and, uh, and he has been absolved of whatever wrongdoing he has done, now we can look at Greg Berhalter as a manager, as a head coach of the U.S. men's national team. And when I say this, I want to be clear. I am only saying this on the past four years as he was the head coach of the U.S. men's national team. Greg Berhalter should not return because his Tactics, nine times out of ten, did not work. That goes through group stages of the Gold Cup. That's also through World Cup qualification. Even though he has won the Gold Cup, even though he's won the CONCACAF Nations League, even though... He got his tactics right against Wales, against England, and against Iran. The truth is, substitutions were wrong. And during qualification, his starting 11 was wrong until he fixed everything at halftime and got it back to normal, which should never have happened. On the road. Greg Berhalter, Greg Berhalter deserves to be let go, deserves to not return to the U.S. men's national team, deserves to not return to the U.S. men's national team. And it's time to make sure we all understand that. And it's time for U.S. soccer to go out there and seriously find a new head coach. It's time for them to find a new head coach and move on. So it's time to move forward, ladies and gentlemen. And it's time to go ahead 
and find a way. Yes, find a way to get someone new. Great show for you tonight, but unfortunately, tragic news that happened over the weekend. Rochester FC, excuse me, Rochester, New York FC, formerly the Rochester Rhinos, are now officially defunct. Joining me right now to continue on with this situation, I've been brought in back over here from MLS in the Boston area, Gustavo Lopez joining me tonight. Gustavo, good evening, and how are you? Good evening, Dan. It's a pleasure to be talking to you once again. Pleasure to talk to you as well. But unfortunately, it looks like that hope and prayer has now sadly crumbled. What were the reasons why the Dworkins have decided that Rochester, New York FC were to shutter their doors permanently? Uh, so last week when we talked, uh, the Rochester had found a deal, have reached a deal with an investor. But apparently on the Thursday night, uh, the deal fell through. Uh, I assume it's because of lack of time to organize a team. They had like less than a month to their first professional game. And I think in the understanding with MLS and the understanding with the U.S. Soccer Federation, it was not viable. Was not. I think the, the lack of time was so big that it was not an option to make a team and have, make them play a game inside of just like less than a month. Of time, so I think that, that that was, I think that is what happened, and that's why the deal didn't went ahead. When you talk to, or at least read the the comments on social media, especially on your Twitter from those those fans from Rochester, New York, that have only known of the Rhinos before Flower City Union came over at uh, Nissa. How much worry and upset was aimed towards you? Not saying because this is not your, I'm not saying it was your fault, but, you know, coming to you and telling you why did this happen? I can't believe I've lost my club that I've had since the mid to late 90s being such a great team and, and a great following in, in Rochester, New York. Uh I think the overall feedback that I received was most of a shock because nothing was public. You know, the team was hiding everything. And so, for example, most of the fans didn't know about the Jamie Vardy situation. Most of the fans didn't know about the deal, about the Dworkins trying to sell the team. So in a in a, a spare of two weeks, everything fell out public because two weeks ago was when I brought it to the media what was happening with Rochester. So I think most of the fans were still trying to process what was going on and what are the reasons to bring the team in. Why did they talk earlier to the fans? So I think they're still in a state of shock, and now they're going to start to process they're not going to have a team for 2023. That is very difficult to hear that, and uh, obviously our hearts do go out to everyone in the Rochester, New York, western New York area. Uh, we all know how diehard uh, the Rhinos were uh, in that area. When Have you been able to contact Jamie Vardy at Leicester City? Why did he give up after so quickly after being a part of the ownership group originally with the Dworkins? Uh, so I did a little bit of digging. I couldn't get in contact with Jamie Vardy, but I talked to, I would say, at least 10 players that were on the roster for last year. And they all said that they'd never seen Vardy around. Most of them knew that he wasn't involved with the team. And some even said that they are, he was never part of uh, the team. So uh, I, I assume, and that's just like from what I'm here, I cannot prove that, that he was never officially part of the team and was more of a PR stunt than anything else. Wow, a PR stunt. Look, I, I mean, you know, that, that's very disheartening to hear that Vardy would use this 
uh, situation as a PR stunt and not really take seriously his investor uh, ship to be a part of Rochester. Um, now, this the rumor of the of the investor that the Dworkins were working with before the deal fell through. I understand um, from your reporting was from Brooklyn, New York. Can you confirm or deny um, if you're able to? Um, and then again, I'm not. I'm only making an educated guess here. I don't. I have no. Is uh, but was this a gentleman that? owns the New York Cosmos and Rocco Camiso, or do you believe this was somebody else in, in a separate uh, situation? Uh, I think it was someone else in a separate uh, in a separate situation because I had access to text messages of people from inside the club, one of the few employees that were left. I had access to a lot of text messages, and they had a deal. They literally had a deal on the table. They had agreed on until – Thursday night, and then something happened on Thursday night that made that deal disappear. Uh, about the rumors of they're going to blo- to, bro- to Brooklyn, I cannot confirm that, but if that was the case, that might be one of the reasons why the deal didn't went through. Maybe the Dworkins didn't want, even though they want to sell the team, they didn't want the team going to another city. Maybe they have that Rochester proud inside of them. Uh, I cannot confirm that, but the thing I can tell is that they had a deal. They had a deal with an Italian investor that fell through on Thursday night. Yeah, that's just really a shame. Um, I mean, we all know uh, through your reporting, obviously, that uh, that was the big hope, wasn't it? That the, the big hope was to have that gentleman take over or at least be a part of the ownership group or, or taking over from the Dworkins to keep that club afloat. So all, all we can say now is, you know, it's really a shame to see that, yeah, you know, and they, and they had ahead. a negotiation for three months, we're three months negotiating for that deal. And then all of a sudden something didn't went with the plan and they had to, 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 cancel the deal or, or deny the deal. I don't know what's the best word for it. So it's really frustrating because they had, people inside the club, they had hope for three months that something was going to happen, and in the end, it didn't. Very, very true. Well, obviously, you know, the American soccer community uh, is not happy with this situation, all because of the upcoming beginning of the 2023 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, obviously because second round, Rochester, New York FC was supposed to play the Pittsburgh Riverhounds of U.S. Old Championship, and because of this whole situation, it is now considered a forfeit. Pittsburgh is moving on automatically to the third round without playing a game, and the timing of this whole situation has really thrown a wrench into the works. And many people are very angry that Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer were were not diligent enough to force this situation to get Rochester to say, okay, you know, if if you want to fix your issues, fix your issues, but you got to tell us if you're going to play or not. And then everything falls apart and they could have had they could have added two other amateur teams in the first round to play against Pittsburgh. What's your sense on that? I, I honestly feel like it's not a U.S. soccer problem. I feel like more of a MLS problem in this point because I've talked to many MLS Next Pro teams, and all they tell me is that the team is non profitable. They cannot make profit out of those teams because of any reasons. The MLS Expo League is not a profitable league. And then when you turn uh, uh, and when MLS creates MLS Expo and takes teams like Rochester out of the USL, out of the other leagues, to play under that umbrella, it creates a hole. The team cannot be stable financially, which was the main reason of why Rochester is not going to continue. So I think that the blame has to go to MLS. Uh, I think the league the, does not do a good job to promote those teams. And any independent team that is thinking about going to MLS Expo is basically signing a, a death sentence. And so I think the problem is more with 
how MLS is trying to approach the business, how MLS is trying to get control of everything. And instead of working with the other leagues, is just trying to be the main league, trying to be the, the owner of everything. So I don't think US Open Cup has any problem with that, but they should have taken a stance way before then now, because now it's too late, and then you're going to have the Pittsburgh just advancing around with a double that's the issue that everyone's having, especially those that love the Open Cup. They're they're very upset, very angry. That and you want to hear something funny, then? Doesn't just. Yep, go ahead, please. Uh, you know how much? What's the general fee uh, for putting a team on MLS Next Pro? No, please tell Any us. Yes. Uh, around $10 million uh, to put a team on MLS Next Pro. $10 million fee for uh, a team not affiliated with MLS. And in a non-market, to go into a MLS, non-market Next MLS team, yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and, they're, and, they should, and they're not supposed to be in an MLS market. Yeah, I think wow. uh, from what I was hearing... It's around $10 million if your team is not on an MLS market. And if it is on a market with another MLS team, you've got to pay the existing team a fee plus the $10 million. So if you, are not, if you are an independent club, not in an MLS market, it's $10 million. Mm-hmm. But if you are yes, a an independent club, uh-huh, but if you are an independent club, in an MLS market, wants to be a part of MLS Pro Next, it's not only you have to pay a fee to the MLS club, but also the $10 million involving uh, entry. Yes. yes. Wow. I did not expect that. This sounds like, now I don't know if this goes on uh, up in Boston with Gillette Stadium during New England uh, Patriot Games, but this sounds like private seat licensing deals. Not only are you paying for your season tickets, you're also paying for the seats that you'll be sitting in for an entire season. That's what it sounds like. And I mean, yeah, and I mean, in most of those second teams, as we say, like New York Seed FC, Revolution 2, or any other team, and I can guarantee you 90% of those teams wouldn't sell tickets for those games if they weren't obligated to because the amount of money they spend on staff, or the amount on game day fees, on all that service they have to provide to fans, they're spending more money on that than they were getting money from MLS. So as you see, the math doesn't, doesn't balance and the math isn't right. So that's why more independent teams, if they go into MLS X Pro, they're going to have the same problem as Rochester. That is crazy. I cannot believe Major League Soccer would allow that to happen. This is something where, I'm sorry, MLS should never have even bothered to go into the lower levels, and they should never have even bothered to allow – I mean, this is where Rochester should never have moved to MLS Next Pro. They should have remained in USL – they should have stayed there, and unfortunately for the Dworkins, they have nobody to blame but themselves for taking that initiative. It should never have happened. <sighs> Gustavo, I want to thank you very much for informing myself and the audience of that bit of news that I don't think anyone knew about. Something's yeah. seriously wrong here with MLS. They must change their ways and I'm sorry, they, they, must, they, they, they must not be allowed to do something like this because it, it, just, it just ruins the pyramid. Thank you for your reporting, Gustavo. I appreciate your time. And um, I, I thank you once again for your time on the show. Hi, thank you for the invite for all the audience. Uh, I've always got a good feedback when I'm invited to uh, radio shows and if anything. And as I said last week, uh, you, you're a guy that has a tremendous – Uh, resume in the league covering soccer in the United States, so I just appreciate the invite. I owe Gustavo Guimaraes a dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. All right. Thank you so much, and have a good night. I I I should be in New Jersey in May, so maybe you can schedule something out. 
Thank okay. you. Okay. That, that's definitely, definitely. All right. <laughs> uh, have a good night, Gustavo. Have a good night. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. Uh, it's Gustavo Lopez from Territorial MLS covering uh, the New England area in the revolution. And he was on top of this situation with the Rochester Rhinos, formerly Rochester Rhinos, now Rochester, New York FC, now no longer around. Joining me next, uh, coming to you live, uh, Fabian Runkle from Area Sports Network, covering the San Jose Earthquakes in the Bay Area. Uh, Fabian, welcome back, and how are you, sir? Hey, hey, welcome. Thank you for having me on again. A little hard to, you know, match that, that I would say that cupcake you that happening, but, you know, so I'm extremely grateful to be on the show, and thank you so much for bringing me on again. Yeah, you're very welcome. Very happy to have you on, Fabian. Uh, obviously, it's only been three matches into the brand-new MLS season and uh, the new Lucci Gonzalez season. From, at the moment, six points. I think that's pretty good. Six points right now for the Earthquakes. What changes do you think you have seen uh, not count, you know, from basically what happened from last season up till now? Yeah, so basically when, you know, Matias Almeida left and we brought in Alex Covello, the team looked good. I mean, Covello was bringing in younger players like Nico Sekiris. Uh, the offense was, was running on full on all really on full cylinders, and we were scoring goals like crazy. The problem is we had players that possibly, you know, weren't starting caliber, playing in the starting lineup, and the whole time Alex Covello was doing a great job with the hand he was dealt, but he kept on asking for transfers to come in on the defensive side. Later on in that year, some transfers come in on the defensive side. We get Rodriguez, we get Trauco, we get Acapo. So three players that are now in our starting lineup and are playing crazy football in MLS. A guy like Miguel Traco coming in from Saints at the end, as well as playing for the Peruvian national team. And then you got you got a guy, Carlos Acapo, who just recently went up against Vinicius Jr. in La Liga. So he's going to translate into MLS and he's going to do well in MLS. And Rodriguez playing in uh, first flight Brazilian football, again, a league that has a, the likes of Luis Suarez and maybe Douglas Costa a couple of years ago. So a, a league that, I mean, Another Uruguayan guy that comes to mind is Arascaeta, a guy who's been linked to MLS multiple times, but they do have quality in that league as well. So three guys that should walk into this lineup and be a starter going into this next season, and that's what you're seeing happen. And then as well, one of our starters goes down with an ACL injury, Nathan, and then we bring in a guy like Jonathan Mensa. That's just a cherry on top to this beautiful defense we have now. Absolutely. And, you know, I got to say, to me, Christian Espinoza, um, I mean, it looks like he's on a rare, I mean, I mean, excuse me, he's on a tear right now to start off the year with a goal and two assists. Um, I mean, he's catching up to Shea Salinas's assist record, I believe, or he's probably already yes, there. He, uh, what has he done differently this year than since transferring over a couple of years ago? Yeah, you know, he really has stepped into the, I want to say, his co-captain role that he is now. Jackson Yule still kind of holds that captain role, but if Jackson Yule gets subbed off, I can definitely see Espinoza being that captain. Uh, he speaks fluent English now, so he can step in for a lot of players and, and communicate a little better with the English-speaking guys. Um, he doesn't have that much of a defensive uh, kind of like playbook to go ahead and do. Now he can totally, totally uh, think about offense all the time because with Matias Almeida, he had to track back a lot and he had to go ahead and cover. So all those things combined, now he has a guy on his side that's Carlos Acapo, someone that he trusts and someone that he can, you know, count on to make sure he has defensive cover so he can put all of his energy on the offensive side. And this is a guy who was sold for, you know, close to 8 million euros to Visa Real when he was coming out of Argentina. And so this is a player that does have potential. I mean, he was on Argentinian youth teams with Cunahuero and even Lionel Messi. There was a time where he was on some friendly teams. So, again, this is a player that's always had this, this potential to be one of the best players in MLS. Um, maybe Matias Almeida wasn't – his tactics weren't up to par with, you know, his, his strengths, but – I think we're seeing the best Christian Espinoza we've ever seen, and I don't think we've seen the tippy-top of that iceberg yet. 
No, very true. And uh, look, there's still plenty of games left to go. Obviously, we're only in match week three, and very soon we'll get to match week four. Jeremy Bobasi, you know, uh, to me, he's always been a forward that has the potential. Just you got to somehow unlock that potential because I think at times he's been on and off inconsistently. Um, two goals so far in three matches. What has he done differently that uh, maybe he's finally got some confidence moving forward? Look, he's always been consistent for us once he's been on the field, right? He had that crazy concussion injury versus the Colorado Rapids his first season with us, and he missed a whole bunch of games. But ever since he's been in the black and blue, he's been a consistent goal scorer, working with Chris Wondolowski, becoming that nine that he always wanted to be. I know in Portland he really wasn't playing that nine ever so often. And, hey, look, Portland's still looking for a nine. So it's something that the Quakes really took advantage of. Again, I want to give the flowers to Chris Leach because – there's been some transfers that Leach has brought in that just have just transformed this fan base, transformed this team, and transformed the whole organization, I want to say. So um, there's a optimism running around all the Bay Area for the earthquakes. You're getting people – I'm starting to even see people watch from the East Coast. I mean, they're circling this team to watch because uh, they play later in the day. So it's a whole day of – of of soccer and, and the Quakes are really wreaking the benefits of it because they're a fun team and people are going to stay up to watch a full day of soccer now with Apple TV and they're able to. So again, this team, this fan base is growing. They're getting a whole bunch more national media. Guys like Jeremy Abobasi and Christian Espinoza are finally getting the looks they deserve. And with, you know, Jeremy Abobasi possibly playing for Cameroon, especially last year where there were some rumors linking him to playing for that national team, maybe he gets another look for Nations League. Um, if he keeps showing up, maybe the U.S. calls him again. You know, maybe they don't want to lose him to Cameroon. So it's something that it, it, to keep an eye on. But Jeremy Bobasi should should be a really big goal scorer this year, and we'll see how many penalties he takes. But I, I think he's going for that 20-goal mark this year easy. I mean, Christian Espinoza hasn't missed a penalty for us yet, so he's going to probably take the penalties. But if Jeremy Bobasi took those penalties, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe he would be a 25-plus goal scorer. Obviously, Kay Cowell is important to this Earthquakes team. Uh, you know, he's going to be away. Uh, I mean, I believe he'll be away for the Under-20 World Cup this upcoming May. But with those two January international friendlies with the U.S. against Serbia and uh, Colombia, has he sort of upped his game a little bit, showing more confidence in his attacking prowess since those two international friendlies? Yeah, honestly, I'm really high on Cade Cow, but I'll tell you this right now. We haven't seen the Cade Cow we saw in those friendlies. Um, this Cade Cow is a little more timid. Um, it seems like the friendlies should have gave him a bigger confidence boost. Um, but right now, this Quakes team is truly feeding the hot hand. Um, they're feeding Christian Espinoza as much as possible. I mean, Christian, Christian Espinoza for the first two weeks had the highest crossing rating in the league. So they're going to be pushing that right side. Maybe that's a couple less opportunities for Cade Cowell, and maybe Cade's just being a little more timid to play the hot hand in Jeremy Bobasi and Christian Espinoza, but unfortunately we haven't seen that same Cade Cowell that played against Serbia where he was just crossing up those defenders and cutting in on the inside and looking even better than you know a namestay like Brandon Vasquez. So it's something that we, we need to keep an eye on. Uh, but, again, I think it's more or less the Quakes trying to play the hot hand at the moment. I mean, Christian Espinoza is, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, Bolonga playing lights out, maybe we'd be in the MVP conversation after three games. So it's something that it, it, I think it's more or less they're just playing the hot hand, and Cade will find his footing pretty soon. What were the reasons why Mateus Almeida did not work with the, with the Quakes. I mean, look, uh, he had a fabulous run in the CONCACAF Champions League, won the championship, obviously beat the Rebels in the semifinals that year in 2018. What just wasn't translating in San Jose for Almeida? Yeah, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I think it came down to two things. Um, uh, we can really deep dive into tactics and, and think that the man-marking system doesn't work, but, I mean, it's working now in Greece. I know... AEK was in the top of the table and for a while in Greece, so it looks like they might make some Champions League football out there. But I'm going to tell you this, the travel in MLS is like no other. For such a high-pressing you know, tactic, you're going to need guys to be fresh, well-rested, 
and to make sure they're always at 100%. For me, I think the biggest thing was the travel, and number two, it's going to be the rotational players. I mean, unfortunately, the Quakes didn't have that depth that, let's say, LAFC have had or, or FC Dallas have had. It's something where this team just never really had those two or three squads that that tactic needs, right? It needs guys to be fresh 100%. Um, his transfer in, his transfers in weren't the best transfers. I'll I'll give it to the fan base that I don't think that you know he made the smartest decisions on some of the transfers, but it's something that unfortunately, you know, it just didn't work out. It was it felt like at the time a match made in heaven. I mean, we were selling out almost every game because of his you know legacy in Mexico, and there's a lot of you know Chivas fans in the area, so it just unfortunately didn't work out players like Chofis and Espinoza were the bright spots from that time. But again, you have your really low lows with Andy Rios. And I would even say like a Carlos Fierro that they just never lived up to the hype. Um, but I think those two things where you didn't have your depth and you didn't, the travel was just too much for that type of tactic. And he was just too stubborn to change. Yep. That's the one thing uh, this league will always present a problem. It is the uh, travel across the country all over the place. Yeah, that's the one big issue. Uh, Unfortunately for me here on the East Coast, we just have to hop on the train and go to Boston, Philly, D.C. You know, it's just one, two, three. Or just cross over the bridge to go uh, see New York City FC when they take on the Red Bulls. So that's probably what you're going to do. Chris Leach... What growth have you, like you've already mentioned the great moves he's made in the transfer window. What growth have you seen from him to become this general manager, the sporting director for the earthquakes that he has maybe surpassed from years past? Yeah. Hey, look, I was really critical about Chris Leach when he first got to this role. I felt like last year, the, the whole season couldn't have been a wash. We could have brought in some defensive players and, and possibly made a push at the end. But um, this year, he really, you know, switched my opinion because when Nathan went down, one of our best center backs, he brought in Jonathan Mensa within three days. So that was something that I always was really – I know he always gets a good price on his players, but he just took forever to make those transfers. And when you bring in a guy like Jonathan Mensa, I mean, an MLS Cup winner, a captain of a team in MLS, and possibly still has some good years in him, you know, I, I have to completely change my opinion about him. And, and to see that growth, to make sure you go ahead and cover all your bases for your starting lineup day one is something that maybe didn't come from Chris Leach two years ago. Um, I remember he made a really big kind of move as an interim coach by bringing in Jeremy Abobsey. It was the biggest transfer for an MLS player of all time. It was the biggest trade in MLS. Um, but he is a guy who who does make, I would say, you know, kind of radical moves. But I think this last kind of Jonathan Mensa trade was one of the best moves in MLS. And then Mir, uh, Jamiro Montero coming in last year as well for about – 250k hey that's that's a great move so what i want to see from leech is you know to get the most money for outgoing transfers i think that's somewhere where he can totally you know possibly cement his legacy as one of the best gms of the quakes i've ever witnessed but on guys coming in i think he's knocked it out of the park um i think he's gotten all three big transfers right and that's jeremy abobasi jamira montero and and at the moment, Jonathan Mensa, I think they're all great transfers, very affordable transfers. But, again, I think that shows some growth there. Um, I feel like he's going to be around as the GM for a long time if he keeps making those good moves. Absolutely. Fabian, listen, thank you very much for your time. Always appreciate you coming on, talking about the earthquakes, and hope to have you back on again soon. Good luck with the season, and take care, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure, and and, uh, best of luck, and thank you again. Thank you. Fabian Renkel, Area Sports Network in the Bay Area covering the San Jose Earthquakes. And waiting right now, 
for my next guest as we uh, return to the Rochester situation. Rochester situation, excuse me. As I am awaiting Mr. Mark Washoe, of course, was a part of the front office of the Rochester Rhinos. He was the chief business officer. Now he's the partner and owner of Flower City Union in Nyssa as we await for him to call in and uh, talk to us uh, representing what's been going on up in the Rochester area, of course, with his club, uh, the news that happened with the Rhinos. And, uh, you know, just absolutely devastating news for the Rochester, New York area as we uh, get ready here to talk about this. And here he is right now, ladies and gentlemen. Um, He is the uh, owner and partner of Flower City Union Nista, but he was also once the chief business officer of the Rochester Rhinos. Mark Washoe joins me right now. Mark, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, Obviously, the Rochester area, it's a very sad moment, obviously, to see the Rhinos gone, but... Um, just your thoughts on the situation, if we can just have them right now. Sure. Yeah, Danny, thank, thank you as always for having me on. Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you and uh, appreciate the, the outlet and the forum. Um, yeah, to your point, uh, you know, obviously, look, it, it's always a, a sad story or, or not a positive story when a soccer team, a professional team, uh, decides that they're not going to participate in an upcoming season. Uh, as you know, Rochester, New York, has a deep-rooted history of soccer here um, in this community. It was once dubbed uh, Soccer Town USA, and way back uh, at the early days of, well, first of all, it goes all the way back to the NASL days, as you know, with the Rochester Lancers, and then, of course, uh, the Rochester Rhinos. Um, and, you know, uh, they uh, we built one of the first soccer-specific stadiums here in the city, so yeah, the news that happened late last week that RNYFC decided not to continue forward is certainly disappointing and unfortunate and uh, in many ways, I guess, another another setback for uh, soccer, pro soccer in Rochester, New York. Talk to us about the area and, and how rich is the sport in western New York, especially in Rochester. We know Syracuse is a part of it, Buffalo, um, Binghamton. I, I mean, why has... Rochester been such a beacon of developing and bringing over talented American soccer players to your area. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think, I think again, well, historically Rochester, New York was just, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, really big immigrant population here, a lot of different ethnic groups. I mean, you still have some of the uh, centers here, Polish community, uh, all different types of uh, Hispanic communities here. And uh, obviously there's um, just a lot of different cultures here. Um, and so when you, when you have a different cultures, whether it's Eastern European or even some Caribbean countries, uh, you're going to, you know, soccer is going to be the sport and soccer has always been the sport here. Uh, there's also been a really vibrant high school community here. Uh, even back way back when I was going to high school in this town, you know, you, you would get three, four, or 5,000 fans coming out for a lot of these sectional games, and that still continues to present day. So, um, yeah, I think it's just a part of it is the, is the ethnic communities that are here, uh, the deep-rooted ethnic communities, the, the vibrant high school soccer scene. Um, you know, all those things, I think, really contribute to a, to a vibrant soccer community. And, um, you know, and, and with that, uh, you know, comes an opportunity for professional soccer to, uh, to be successful, which is why we launched Flower City Union um, last year. Uh, and we joined the uh, National Independent Soccer Association, NISA, because uh, from my personal experiences after uh, being the CBO of the Rochester Rhinos back in 2016 and 17, you know, we did, we did see the fans start to come back. We did see the crowds uh, increase. And it's because of that uh, – soccer history here, but also because it still is uh, very vibrant. Um, and, you know, a lot of kids are playing youth soccer, and that continues to present day. 
So um, I think all those things really contribute to Rochester being a good soccer community, a good market. And then you also mentioned Syracuse uh, and, of course, Buffalo. Buffalo obviously has a lot of you know big professional teams like the Bills and the Sabres, but no pro soccer right now. But, um, you know, this year with Flower City Union, we are going to play a couple of matches, uh, at least this year, and then hopefully the goal would be to expand that as we move forward. And we're going to keep the union moniker, the union name, but we're going to play as Salt City Union because Syracuse is dubbed the Salt City, much like Rochester's dubbed the Flower City. And uh, but the branding and the look and the feel of our of our of our soccer brand is very authentic. And so when we play in Syracuse, we're going to be represented as Salt City Union. So we're really going to be a presence in Western New York as a whole. Uh, you know, as much as we are going to be you know based here in Rochester as well. No, that's absolutely wonderful to hear. And obviously, the more teams, uh, the better it is. And, you know, we'll see what happens moving forward. But definitely, uh, you know, what were the targets that you were looking for when you created that club? When we created uh, Flower City Union? Right? Dan, is that the question is Flower City Union specifically? Did I lose you guys? Hello? Um, I'm here. I'm here. I've, oh, I'm, I'm here. I didn't know, I didn't know what happened. Uh, just, I don't know if you heard my question or not, but what were the, what were the main targets uh, that you were actually looking forward to get that club going in NISA besides what you were talking about earlier? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, think, I think for us uh, it was, it's an opportunity for us to reignite the soccer passion that once existed here uh, in Rochester. Now, look, you know, it was con- called Boomtown USA at one time, and when you had Kodak and Xerox and Boston Lom and some of these really big global companies that were really vibrant and, you know, had 30,000, 40,000 employees, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a different, different time from the way the overall community was going, especially in the business community. But that stated, like we had just talked about, I mean, there was still a soccer wanted to reignite, I guess, that passion and the excitement for the sport. And if you look around what's happening, you know, pick any town USA right now, uh, whether it's major league soccer, I mean, obviously the leaders, but you look at, you know, cities like Nashville, you look at Portland, uh, you look at Cincinnati. I mean, some of those are cities that yes, they're still bigger than Rochester in many ways, but really if you look at how soccer has been really embraced by those communities and really at, at all levels of, of professional soccer, even if you look at what's happening with, um, you know, t- cities like Louisville, for example, or even Detroit, right? So you could look at those and say, hey, you know, what makes the, the common thread there? Those are authentic soccer brands. They're in, you know, communities that are embracing um, the club. They're, you know, uh, we're, we're embracing inclusion. We're embracing diversity. And we wanted to be an urban team. And the fact that we have a soccer-specific stadium right in the heart of downtown, half a mile from our uh, professional baseball stadium, you know, it was really just, hey, how do we reignite kind of what we had going on in 2017 with the Rhinos when we saw the up, uptick in fans, saw the uptick in sponsors, and then it kind of got cut abruptly short in 2018. So it was really how do we take what's going on around the rest of the country related to soccer, reignite the community here, and then kind of carry that momentum that we had uh, with the Rhinos back in 2017. Um, you know, so that that was really the the goal, and that's and that's why we launched this urban brand, and we are outreaching into the community. Our tagline is rooted in Rochester. So if you look all throughout our our branding, and even when we launched our brand, we engaged the community uh, for the fan, you know, for the name of the club, for how the crest and colors were going to look, and uh, and and you know, we even have a rooted in Rochester series where we go into the city and we. Um, you know, we, we, we highlight small businesses, and we also have fan ownership, too. Um, we launched a fan ownership campaign, which is true uh, fan equity in the club, and uh, that campaign is still ongoing, and it's been going very strong. And so, you know, fan ownership is another uh, movement that uh, is definitely happening in soccer in this country, especially at the lower divisions. So those were, those were all the benchmarks and why we wanted to relaunch, because we saw there was momentum here. We knew there was a history here. We know soccer is booming across the country. And why should Rochester be any different than any of the markets um, that I had mentioned and, and any of the cities that, again, anytime USA now seems like, uh, you know, soccer is taking a really strong foothold. And that's great to hear, and I'm very happy to hear the success that's been going on over there with you over at Flower City Union, of course. Um, it looks like you're going to be the club representing Western New York for a long period of time over there in the state. That's great to hear. Um, if I could just go back 
to 1999, you know, the U.S. Open Cup final, uh, Rochester Rhinos, Colorado Rapids. All we saw on ESPN that night was 2-0 victory, the Rhino players lifting the Dewar Cup in celebration. But obviously... We had no idea what was going on in Rochester, New York those day, uh, on that evening after the final whistle blew. What was it like over there at that time, if you can remember? Yeah. Now, that's a great question. And uh, what's interesting about that moment is I was actually, at the time, I wasn't living here in Rochester. I, I had moved away. I was living in D.C., and I worked for D.C. United. Uh, I was there back in 96 when, when you know D.C. United launched and we won the MLS Cup. And it was, uh, I remember just rooting for the Rhinos from afar. And I think um, we definitely played the Rhinos in D.C. one of those years, but I don't know if it was the year they actually advanced and went through. But the idea that uh, to this day, present moment, a team from Rochester, New York, which is my hometown, uh, hoisted the U.S. Open Cup and is still the only non-MLS team to win that trophy, uh, super exciting. I was super proud as a Rochesterian, even though I was working for an MLS team at the time, just thought it was a super cool, what a great story, how exciting for the community. And uh, with Flower City Union, we have a chance uh, to play. Well, you know, interesting, last year we advanced out of the, our first round in the U.S. Open Cup, and we ended up playing D.C. United here in Rochester. So that was kind of a full circle moment for me. But, uh, you know, that true underdog uh, Cinderella story opportunity where a lower-level club gets to take on a big MLS club, uh, Flower City Union is going to be in it this year. We have our first game coming up uh, in a couple of weeks, early April. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're excited to go into that tournament. And you never know what can happen, right? Uh, how exciting would it be if we could be that team from Rochester that gets a chance to win that again, right? It's a, it's a big mountain to climb, but uh, how exciting would it be for sure, you know? you have a date already for that matchup? Uh, it's. TBD, we're waiting for it. I believe it's either April 6th or April 8th, but I could be, uh, don't quote me on that. I know we're just waiting for confirmation from U.S. soccer, So, uh, but it's definitely upcoming, and uh, we're definitely in the tournament, and we're super excited to represent Rochester and Western New York, rep- represent Syracuse, and like I said, you know, maybe maybe we get lucky and go on a magical run. <laughs> you know, how, uh, how well, exciting would that be? Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. No, I hope so. Yeah. We'll see what yeah. happens. Yeah. You, you yeah. said you meant you, you you mentioned you worked uh, at DC United. I, I have to ask you, um, what was Kevin Payne like to work with in the front office at DC United in those early years in the league in MLS? Yeah, no, I appreciate you asking that. And um, you know, uh, he passed unfortunately around Christmas time this past December. I know, I know you uh, had a show where you uh, really, you know, uh, dedicated it to Kevin and, you know, had a lot of remembrances from him with Dave Johnson, which was fantastic, by the way. So, you know, really well done. Uh, and, you know, that's it's interesting. It's uh, sometimes when you start off in your pro sports or soccer career, you never think fast forward 25, 30 years later almost you're, you'd still be in it. But the, the, rea- the reason I think I still am in it a lot of times is because of Kevin and because of my memories and um, – how much respect and admiration I had for him uh, in launching uh, DC United in those early days. I look at Flower City Union, for example, a lot of the same experiences where you're kind of, we're kind of starting from scratch again, even though, yeah, soccer has been here for a long time and just like MLS was a brand new league and just uh, the passion, the commitment, um, you know, the, the swagger that we used to, that Kevin used to kind of almost dictate and mandate uh, fighting for media attention, fighting for attention from the community in the midst of, uh, you know, all the big, all the big teams in town. Um, you know, we're no different here in Rochester getting overshadowed by Syracuse orange men or the Buffalo bills and the Sabres and kind of fighting for your little, you know, little space, uh, in the sports landscape, you know, and yeah, Kevin was just one of those, um, guys that just had that energy, had the passion, uh, commitment and you know a lot of the things that he used to uh, kind of preach to all of us I 100% still carry with me to this day and try to uh, instill upon the young people that are working at Flower City Union and even the players I, I tell stories from those early days of DC United all the time all the way down to that mission statement um, which is you know really critical and ours is public facing on our website so I appreciate um, I just have the highest respect for him it's a huge loss uh, professionally, personally, and then for the soccer community as a whole. And 
I was privileged to attend his uh, tribute services that U.S. Soccer Foundation put on in D.C. about a, about a month ago or so. And just, just you know, everybody in soccer, the who's who of soccer, were there paying their respects. And, uh, yeah, I just, I just really have amazing memories and fond memories of working for Kevin. And I was really fortunate I got to care, you know, call him a boss, mentor, and friend. So uh, I do appreciate you uh, asking about him and, and remembering him, uh, you know, during this conversation today. Thank you. No, you're welcome. And, of course, you know, look, uh, I always want to give uh, proper uh, respect to those that, you know, made the game here in this country what it should be, especially in MLS, you know, 27 years. Many didn't think it would last this long. Look at it now. Look at this game. I still feel there's more that needs to be done. But, you look, Mark, you know, you, you've done your bit as well, and I'm very happy to – uh, say thank you for you uh, doing everything you can over in the Rochester, Western New York area, and just keep on going and keep on growing it. Yeah, no, Daniel, thank you for saying that. Look, it's 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 not it's not easy all the time, right? It's uh, and as much as soccer has grown in this country, and as much as um, again a lot of, a lot of these cities have embraced it, and if you look at how, again even like Atlanta and Charlotte and Seattle, and it's amazing to see all these soccer specific stadiums. I mean. Back when I started with DC United MLS, those were all the dreams, right? They were all the visions. Like, imagine getting, you know, our own stadiums. Imagine getting owners that had the right resources to really, um, you know, make make this league thrive and survive. And and here it is again uh, with a with a third division club in a mid major market, trying to do it all again. And it is a lot of hard work, but it but there's a lot of passion behind it, a lot of commitment and dedication and. And hopefully with 2026 World Cup on the horizon, I mean, that, that could be another, let's be honest, just if there ever was a tipping point of all tipping points, that, that could truly be it. Because uh, 94 kind of lit the spark here in America, and, and then 96 MLS launched. And then uh, 2026, you know, I think when it comes back, uh, really the sky's the limit for soccer in America. Uh, and, and as much as it's taking off now, I mean, it uh, really could propel it to, to the new stratosphere. So that that's kind of also part of the – the vision, hey, if we can keep things moving in the right direction, uh, come that moment in time, you know, really hard to predict, but it seems like soccer could really gain a strong foothold in these uh, other markets that hasn't all the way, you know, all the way yet. So pretty exciting times to come, hopefully, still, you know. Exactly, very much so. Mark, thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, talking about uh, not just your club, obviously, but, you know, the, the difficulties that that we, everyone in Rochester and of course all of us American soccer fans said we had to uh, endure with the ending of Rochester New York FC the, the, the course we'll always know them as the Rochester Raging Rhinos <laughs> thank you for your time and hope to have you back on again soon maybe during Open Cup yeah let's uh, hopefully we can get on a nice little run and then hopefully uh, we have a great season with Flower City Union representing Rochester and Western New York Daniel thanks for having me on as always really appreciate it uh, once again, the platform and the time. Thank you. You're very welcome, and thank you for joining me tonight. Mark Washoe, he is uh, the partner and owner of the Flower City Union in Rochester, New York, and, of course, formerly with the Rochester Rhinos as the chief business officer uh, for those short years before moving on to NISA. Um, time to now review the New York Red Bulls road match. 1-1 draw over in Minnesota United FC. We had a snow game. We had an orange ball. We all were enjoying it. Until, of course, the opening goal happened for Minnesota in the 18th minute. But great match for the New York Red Bulls on the road. They did get an equalizer from Andreas Reyes off the far corner, delivered by John Tolkien. Lifted up in the air, snap header inside the near post, and that made it 1-1. Could have, you know, that match could have been a lot more. It probably should have been a lot more for the New York Rebels. They should have probably won that one, probably 2-1, 3-1. Obviously, the field conditions were not great, especially with all the snow. Uh, even Adrian Heath, the manager of Minnesota United FC, agreed with what Gerhard Struber said at his post-match press conference. And all you can say is, is that the Red Bulls got away with a point. Two points out of three matches so far, not what you want to see, but you know what? At the moment, it's not that bad. They've only conceded 
one goal in the run of play. Of course, the second goal, which was the first of the season, was on a penalty in Orlando. But I think what you're seeing right now is a team, even though they haven't pulled it or put it all together just yet, you are seeing signs of a team that can attack. But once again, it's that final third. That final third moment is still lacking with the New York Red Bulls. And until they can finally get everything and everybody on the same page on the attacking side of the club, I think it's going to be an, you know, a strong season. It's just taking a little bit slower. But you are seeing positive moments from Lewis Morgan, who looked ripped, roaring, ready to go. Could have had a goal here or there. Just a slight bounce here or there could have gone into the net. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. But I still feel that the attack was doing very well. And give credit on the defensive end to Omir Fernandez. What a scissor midair kick that was to block that opportunity late in the second half to keep the ball out of the net against Minnesota United FC. That was an amazing play. That was an unbelievable play. I could not believe what I just saw. And you know what? When you root and cheer for a guy like Omir Fernandez from the academy, from the New York, New Jersey area, doing amazing things, not just on offense, but what he just did there on defense, that's a gamer. And that's a guy that you're happy who's a part of the club and, you know, got to hope he can keep on going and keep on producing and keep on making strong plays inside the pitch. And that's going to be absolutely fantastic to see. Other than that, I thought it was a strong match, a little unfortunate with allowing the opening goal to go in. Uh, Great save by Carlos Coronel. Just unfortunately, the rebound was right at the foot of Long Wang, and he was able to convert the rebound. Outside of that, they got the point. It's on the road. Get ready to come home and take on the Columbus crew this upcoming weekend. And once again, you will see it all on the MLS season on the MLS season pass on Apple TV. So I want to thank my guests tonight for joining me on the show: Gustavo Lopez of Territorio MLS, Fabian Reinkel in the Bay Area for Area Sports Network, and, of course, Mark Washaw, the partner and owner of Flower City Union of NISA, who was at one time the chief business officer of the Rochester Rhinos, talking about the Rochester situation. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Join me this Friday night for uh, Round of 16, Second League Review of the 2023 Lamar, excuse me, CONCACAF Champions League. Thank you so much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long and bye-bye for now.